It's a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. It always feels like we've come home when we come to Christ the King. This morning I want to share with you kind of the background for what motivates me. Why do I do what I do? Um, I could have titled the sermon, God's Concern for the Lost, but I called it Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Because, I don't know about you, but I'm a sinful person and I need a friend. I needed a Savior. And I think in the Christian church we often tend to forget how far back God's plan goes. And so we're going to take a real fast run through just hitting on that plan starting in Genesis. So if you go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, just to put this in context. Our first father, Adam and Eve, had sinned. And they'd hidden. And God sought them out. And in the midst of His judgment, And the consequences that would follow, he gave them a hope. Verse 13 Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and in the all and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so, right at the very beginning, when sin first entered the world, God already had a plan for solving this problem. And we see throughout the Old Testament that this plan is for all people. A lot of times people thought, uh, Christians have thought, I grew up thinking something like this heresy, that in the Old Testament God was racist and just the Israelites. He wasn't very nice. And then Jesus came and he got nice. No. It wasn't like that. So... Genesis 26, 4, uh, I will, God's speaking to Isaac, giving him a promise, and he's going to broaden the promise that was given to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to, you your, uh, give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How wonderful for those of us that aren't a genetic descendant of Abraham, right? We're all going to be blessed. And in Exodus, we see that when they're given the Passover regulations, uh, Exodus 12, 48 and 49, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. 
but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the sojourner, for the stranger who sojourns among you. And so God just keeps expanding this and making the invitation broader. And when we get to Solomon's temple dedication prayer, um, that's Second Chronicles six. 32 and 33. It's just a short portion from the prayer. As Solomon is dedicating the temple, he prays, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country, for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people, Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And so we see this progressive revelation of God's concern for all mankind. First, he gives us hope of a Savior that can rescue us from this broken relationship. He promises equal treatment under the law to all people and that he, he wants a blessing to all nations, to all people, so that all people will know and fear God. And I, Isaiah 55, you know, there's this come, buy, and eat without money, without cost. There's this wild, extravagant invitation. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And we get to Isaiah 55. 6, verse 3, and then 6 and 7, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from all from his people. And then in verse 6, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So we see that throughout Scripture, I just chose a small fraction in this huge mountain of Scriptures that proclaim God's concern for everyone and that God takes people from all nations and tribes and grafts them into His people. And when we get to the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus does this in a way that is scandalous. Right? He goes to people like me people like Chuck and people like you and demonstrates his friendship to them. I, I can't get over how Jesus makes clear that his invitation is for those who are unlovely and sinful. That means it's for me. That means it's for you. And that means it's for the people we don't like either. Right? It's... it's, it's it's for everyone. 
Jesus, by his actions, showed himself to be a friend of sinner to such a degree that respectable people were scandalized. And I argue that's the way you and I should live our lives. That if if we're His people, are, are we willing to do the same thing? Are we willing to love the unlovely? Are we willing to sit down and have a drink with a murderer? Are you willing to visit with your neighbor whose dog poops in your front lawn every day? I mean, because when we look at Scripture, we see that this invitation is for everyone. I want to look at at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those of you who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. A number of years back, I was at a point of crisis in my ministry in Mexico. I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't know whether I was going to remain in the ministry. And we came here to El Paso. And this congregation embraced us and cleaned us up and sent us back to the field. <laughs> it, was a, it was a transformation in our lives. And about that time, I, I was thinking about how do I minister How do I carry out this calling that God has given me to use agriculture as a way to build friendship with the Taramara people and show them Jesus? And I was really convicted that ministry and missions is not like going trophy hunting. It is not like picking out the best buck in the herd and getting the nicest set of antlers to hang on your wall. And all too often, we see people trying to carry out their ministry that way. We're just just out there to get that sinner saved. No. That doesn't work. It's not real. People smell that stench from a mile away. you got ulterior motives. That doesn't work in ministry. 
what works is genuine love. What works is reaching out to someone and saying, I want to be your friend. And then letting your actions prove it. And Jesus mastered that to such a degree that he was open to the charge of being a glutton, a drunkard, eating with sinners and tax collectors. I don't know about you. Tax stays on top of us and I don't like tax collectors. Um, since I've made making sinful people my friends, my real friends, a priority, something different has happened in my ministry. And it's It's not awkward to tell a friend the truth, right? You have already earned that entrance into their life. And so, the other day I was at a friend's home. And his son, who's a very wealthy man, made his money doing really horrible things opened up and talked to me about his divorce and the pain that it's caused for his children. Not long later, I had the opportunity to talk with his father about reconciliation, conflict resolution, peace, forgiveness. I was talking with the man who Ten years ago, his son was murdered by the man who sold me the farm that I live on. By the son of that man. The family responded by making certain the young man who committed the murder died. And not too long ago, that young man's father and uncle also died. Right? So these are people who are Carrying out a feud. But because of the entrance that friendship gave me, they could listen when I said, there's another way. And because this old man's my friend, I said, look, I've got a conflict with another man that works with me. Would you give me some perspective on how to deal with this? conflict that I'm dealing with? Those kind of relationships give us the opportunity to speak the truth to, and because it's a real friendship, I can say, hey, my friend, I, I realize he's a sinful, evil person, but he can still give me some input on how he sees this conflict I'm trying to resolve. And my openness about that gives me the opportunity to speak to things where there's really big sin problems in his life, right? And so, all of that comes back to what I see as imitating Christ, if you will. Not not that I'm going to 
have some salvific purpose to my life. I'm not going to save them. But there are things that Jesus did, and then he sent us out to do likewise, right? He taught us and said, go make disciples. And when I look at how he was a genuine friend to sinful people, like Matthew the tax collector who goes, one of the apostles, right? So this is, um, what, what I'm saying is, when we look at the scripture, it's, it's just not some abstract history lesson, but this informs how we are to live our lives. And I would argue that, based on the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples. This is what our calling is, too. We're supposed to get our hands dirty. We're supposed to get involved in the lives of people with offensive problems, things that, I'm sorry, I don't like dealing with. You know, murder's not pretty. Cheating on your wife isn't pretty. You know, I, I, a couple years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine outside of my house while he's snorting cocaine and drinking. And he brings up his affair he's having. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but you know, you really need to deal with this. You need to repent. And you know, you might really want to cut this off and repent before your brother-in-law finds out. Because I know what he's like. Those are scary things to say, but you can do it when you have a, a, when you can do it in the friendship of context, uh, the context of friendship. So as I see it, it, it's it's not optional to get involved in people's lives if we are God's people here on earth, and if God's invitation is open to anyone who will. What choice do we have except to extend that invitation of God's grace to spiritually dead men and by the power of the Holy Spirit make living disciples out of them? I am so grateful that Jesus is still a friend of sinners because that's what I needed. That's what I still need. And I'm called to... Genuine friendship with drunks, perverts, murderers, self-righteous fools. Who's God asking you to love? To whom are you called to extend grace? We have a really good guarantee, right? Because we know that Christ's victory was complete. That His victory is guaranteed, it's already done, but the reality is that our safety and our comfort is not guaranteed. Um, so I say we, we must press on knowing that Christ won, the victory at Calvary was complete and total, and that God will have each one of the people that Christ paid the price for. So I want to leave you with an encouraging...
passage. You'll say, yes, Andrew's a missionary. They all like to read this one. From Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.